0: My name is Shayan Desharkar. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Unified, a social network for activism. I love Progress Texas because they are one of the best sources of information for what's happening in Texas politics today. They give me what I need to know about what's happening right now uh, as quick as I can get, so I just love that. I would love for the folks who fund progressive organizations to realize that Putting their money into organizations is the best way to spend their money. That's where the real investment is. Uh, so groups like Progress Texas and other groups like that. And like Univide. Exactly. That's where the money is. That would be a lovely epiphany to have. It's Monday, January 22nd, 2024, and this is the Progress Texas Daily Dispatch. Rapid response on the breaking news stories Texas progressives need to know. I'm Chris Mosier. Progressives in Texas who follow politics for a while know to be wary of polling, but there are polling numbers out in regard to the race amongst Texas Democratic candidates to take on Ted Cruz for his U.S. Senate seat that are worth a look. In particular, a new Emerson College poll that Catherine Fung at Newsweek says shows incumbent Ted Cruz tied with not one but two of his most prominent Democratic challengers, raising alarm bells for the two-term Republicans team. Cruz comes out in this new polling at four. 42% among likely voters in a hypothetical matchup with U.S. Representative Colin Allred of Dallas, who had 40% support. Meanwhile, in a matchup with Texas State Senator Roland Gutierrez, 41% said they would vote for Cruz and 40% said Gutierrez. These numbers are reminiscent of those at this time in 2018 when Cruz was found to be neck and neck with Democrat Beto O'Rourke in one of the closest Senate contests in Texas in decades. Ultimately, Republicans held on to the seat after Cruz narrowly defeated O'Rourke by 219,000 votes, less than three percentage points. Could this time be different, Texas progressives? That answer is up to us, which leads me to another part of this Emerson poll. That says that while Allred holds a decisive lead amongst Democrats who have made up their minds here in January, with 29% voting to support Allred, 7% stating support for Gutierrez, and 6% going with Nueces County District Attorney Mark Gonzalez, a plurality of voters, 37%, are still undecided ahead of the March primary. Spencer Kimball, executive director at Emerson College Polling, says, quote, significant portions of several key constituent groups are undecided in the Democratic Senate primary including Hispanic Democratic voters, Gen Z and millennial voters, and voters without a college degree. To avoid a runoff, Allred needs to make inroads with these voters like he has with Democrats in their 60s and those with postgraduate degrees, unquote. If no individual primary candidate receives over 50 percent of the votes in the race, the top two candidates will head to a May 28th primary runoff election. Meanwhile, Cruz is kowtowing to the former guy with a degree of desperation that surprisingly has yet to be seen thus far from America's oiliest lawmaker. Bess Levin at Vanity Fair writes that Cruz again proved that he is perfectly happy to debase himself When he endorsed Donald Trump for president for a third time last week, a great time to run down the reasons, this is particularly shameful. The fact that Trump suggested that Cruz's father was in cahoots with the man who killed President John F. Kennedy, and this was not some side comment or joke. In 2016, Trump said Cruz's father, Rafael Cruz, a Cuban national, quote, was with Lee Harvey Oswald prior to Oswald's being, you know, shot. That was reported and nobody talks about it, but I think it's horrible. I mean, what was he doing? What was he doing with Lee Harvey Oswald shortly before the death, before the shooting? It's horrible, unquote. Not to mention Trump later saying Cruz's wife Heidi was ugly and threatening to, quote, spill the beans on her. Part of the reason Cruz is bending over for Trump this third time is the impending hearing at the U.S. Supreme Court on whether Trump should be allowed to remain on the ballot in Colorado, where the state Supreme Court has determined that Trump is ineligible having engaged in insurrection. Hayes Brown at MSNBC writes that Ted Cruz is one of the currently sitting members of Congress who, under the Colorado Supreme Court's ruling, could also credibly be described as having engaged in insurrection and thus theoretically could also be disqualified from holding office. Indeed, in an amicus brief filed in the case led by Ted Cruz for the Senate, The argument is made that, quote, although not directly relevant to President Trump, the Colorado Supreme Court would give itself the power to judge the qualifications of those who would be elected to the House or Senate, unquote, further arguing that a state Supreme Court doesn't have the authority to make calls regarding the 14th Amendment. Rather, that call is reserved to Congress itself, making the convoluted call that because Congress has the power to revoke the state level disqualification, it's wrong for the courts to find someone is disqualified in the first place. Ted Cruz, let's refresh ourselves, led the charge among Senate Republicans in challenging electoral votes in states where Trump called President-elect Joe Biden's victory fraudulent and also pitched a 10-day electoral commission to investigate the non-existent fraud and potentially give state legislatures time to change their electoral slates as Trump would have preferred, all to no avail. One last bit on Ted Cruz this morning. Rachel Dobkin at Newsweek shows us to an op-ed late last week in the Houston Chronicle as we were emerging from the most recent statewide winter freeze, blasting Cruz for his betrayal during the PTSD-inducing winter storm of February 2021, which Cruz jokingly referred to while the temperature was dropping in Texas over MLK weekend. The Chronicle's editorial board wrote, quote, who laughs about a deadly storm that left millions without power and total billions in financial losses? Some with a cold heart and warm hands cradling a pina colada. Your dog Snowflake may have forgiven you for your betrayal, Senator, but we haven't, unquote. That storm also killed a still uncertain number of Texans, at least 246. Yet another fact Ted Cruz would just as soon Texas voters forget about. Over to abortion rights and a new national ad by the Joe Biden presidential campaign that features a Texas mom who found herself in a predicament that tragically is becoming more and more common in Texas. The ad features Dallas's Dr. Austin Denard, mother of 3 and notably an OBGYN doctor herself, who discovered that a wanted pregnancy was hopeless for the fetus but was forced by Texas law to continue her pregnancy at the risk of her own life and reproductive future. See and share this new Biden ad in the show notes. Newsweek at the same time publishes an op-ed by Aaron A. Snyder, an assistant professor of international affairs at Texas A&M University's George H.W. Bush School of Government and Public Service, who also found herself lacking critical abortion care following a miscarriage and was instead subjected to a harrowing brush with death. Folks, these stories are not from the fringe or an example of extreme cases being inflated for effect. This is the real reality facing all pregnant people in Texas. It's fair to say that it's no longer safe to bear children here. And Snyder writes that she worries that situation could befall women across the country should Republicans win big this fall to the border and Brian Karam at Salon, who writes that Governor Greg Abbott is pushing Texas to the brink on immigration, caring little about the law or the people he hurts in the name of politics. Calling out Texas's notoriously outsized sense of pride as one of the underpinnings of the cruelty that lies at the heart of our governor's immigration vision, highlighting the role of American business and its need for cheap labor, which is typically glossed over in border discussions, and wondering what nightmares may be yet to come as a result of Abbott's standoff at Eagle Pass with the federal government. Good read in the show notes. Also frequently forgotten in political discussions in Texas is water, and more specifically, a lack thereof. Dylan Bedour writes for Inside Climate News that two consecutive summers of brutal heat and drought have left some parts of Texas with troublingly low water supplies going into the summer of 2024. Which is expected to be more of the same if not worse winter rains have thus been insufficient to resupply far south texas where the larger reservoirs on the lower rio grande are down to 23 percent full and in danger of dropping to all-time low levels also corpus christi which stopped releasing water aimed at maintaining minimum viable ecology in the coastal wetlands last month even as oil refineries and chemical plants remain exempt from water use restrictions And in the sprawling suburbs of central Texas between Austin and San Antonio, where one groundwater district declared stage four drought for the first time in its 36-year history just this last December. Badura writes that Texas rainfall typically peaks in May, but if it doesn't this year and we don't see an unusual drought-breaking event like a hurricane before then, some parts of Texas may need to start bracing for impact this summer. Meanwhile, on that same topic from Brie Flores and Chris Blake at NBC DFW Channel 5, who tell us about the latest forecasts from the Texas Water Development Board, who predict that available water in the state of Texas will decrease by 18% as demand increases by 9% by 2070. See the NBC DFW link in the show notes for a deep dive into Texas's uncertain water future, no pun intended, on the Texas Wants to Know podcast. Over to Energy, top of mind in Texas lately, even with a relatively mild winter freeze. Another op-ed, this time from Judd Messer in the Dallas Morning News, who notes that while the grid did okay this last go-round, albeit with the now-common calls for public conservation from ERCOT that do little to bolster public confidence, trouble remains on the horizon as demand for power in Texas is growing at a rate so steep that it's likely to be almost impossible for ERCOT to keep pace and that that growth, combined with hotter summers and colder winters, will lead to even more strain on the Texas power grid. Mester calls for immediate improvements to transmission systems and for reform in the financial part of all this, noting that an antiquated power system is an expensive power system. The Independent Market Monitor for the ERCOT region says that transmission bottlenecks cost Texans over $5 billion in 2022 and 2023, Messer writes that a reliable grid is a grid in which affordable, abundant power can move to serve the Texans who need it. That's something for progressive Texans to continue pushing for. Also on the grid, Sarah Natale at the San Antonio Express News writes that those additional rules for battery operators we've told you about that ERCOT has proposed, which would make it a lot more expensive for needed power storage facilities to operate, have been voted down unanimously by ERCOT's governing board, the Public Utility Commission, or PUC, ERCOT tried to convince the board that large-scale battery operations would somehow be unreliable without their new proposed rules, to no avail. The PUC nixed ERCOT's proposed fines for battery operators over how much power they're able to hold in storage. As is the case generally with energy-related topics, especially those related to money, this one gets into the weeds real fast. More details should you want them in the show notes. Finally, a national cultural triumph for Texas, as Jennifer A. Kingston writes in Axios that Latin American cuisine styles, in particular Tex-Mex, have overtaken Italian styles, presumably including pizza... As the most popular culinary motif in America. This is from a Data Essential study that found birria, chicken taco salads, and dishes made with tahine, a seasoning of chili peppers, lime, and sea salt, among the 10 fastest growing items on U.S. menus. At the top of that list, ranch water, a cocktail of tequila, lime, and topo chico sparkling water. Tequila, by the way, is poised to overtake vodka as the country's top selling spirit, while margaritas have become the most popular cocktail. The study says millennials are thought to be the first generation to actually prefer Mexican cuisine over Italian, Followed by Gen Z, the first generation to prefer both Mexican and Chinese cuisine over Italian. The study concludes that considering that Tex Mex dishes also tend to produce high profit margins for restaurants, the Tex Mex boom is very likely to stick around for a while. And as we close, again, a mention of two job openings we have here at Progress Texas. We're looking for a full time advocacy manager, and we also need a communications intern, a paid and flexible position. Come on and join the team. Both those listings are up now at our website. That's the Progress Texas Daily Dispatch for this Monday, January 22nd, 2024. Links to all these original stories can be found in our show notes. Progress Texas is a non rapid response media organization promoting progressive messages and actions. While campaigns come and go, we're the permanent home for progressive media and action in the Lone Star State. As we've mentioned, it's a big election year and you can get the merch to match your progressive values at our always open web store at progresstexas.org where you can choose from Y'all Means All. Revolution, or our most popular Humans Against Ted Cruz t-shirts, union-made right here in the Lone Star State. With your purchase, you'll support our important work and look great doing it. Again, the web store and other ways to support our ongoing mission can be found at ProgressTexas.org. I'm Chris Mosier. Thanks for listening. Have a great day and a great work week, and we'll see you again tomorrow morning.